Welcome to Ahead of the Curve, a Breakout Investors podcast. Today we are covering Quipped Home Medical, ticker symbol QIPT. Before we talk about today's company, our guest, Ross Taylor of ARS Investment Partners, would like to do a read in with disclaimers. ARS Partners is a registered investment advisor. All investment and financial opinions expressed by me on this call are in any investment matters are the result of our research and our experience and are intended here as education material, offering insight into how we think and operate. All best efforts have been made to ensure that all information we have relied on is accurate and up to date. Unintended errors may occur. Our content is intended to be used for informational and educational purposes only, and thus we believe that it's very important that before making any investment decision based on information given in this call, you should do your own analysis. Additionally, we reserve the right to trade in or out of any security we talk about without notifying those listening to the call in the due course of our business. Hey, Ross, thank you for joining us again to, today to talk about Quipped. Uh, they had their earnings call today is uh, February 16th. They had their earnings call on Valentine's Day morning, February 14th. Uh, would like to talk about that later, but before we do, just for those who are unfamiliar with Quip, could you just give a very brief summary of their business and why um, you're interested in the name? Well, it's really in the medical equipment business space. They've been consolidating a lot of kind of small to small mid-sized players in the home healthcare sector. Um, tied in heavily, their their big business line is. Uh, oxygen equipment, things like CPAP machines and the like that are used to help treat uh, sleep uh, disabilities and breathing disabilities and the like. And what we've attracted us to it is the idea that it's it's a player operating kind of under the radar, under the level of the big players in the industry. And it has a lot of opportunity to, to roll up and grow. And in our perspective, this is, roll-ups are always a little dangerous, but you know, because at some point in time, if they, you know, they're going to reach that level of saturation, but we think we're a long way from where they would be saturated. So we like to play and we think the natural outcome here is likely this company getting eventually itself rolled into someone else. Yeah, thank you for that. And then, you know, you and I haven't talked a lot of times we talk after an earnings call on a company with mutual interests, but I'm, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say uh, about their earnings and I'll add my own thoughts on that as well. But uh, if you could just talk about their recent earnings report and the conference call. Yeah, I, I, I think first the earnings numbers were good. I think that, you know, they're showing progress. This is a company that has in the past uh, struggled somewhat to, to hit the street expectations. Uh, if you go back, they, you know, missed a number of numbers, both on gap and, and also on adjusted. And so a big part of the push forward for this company equipped as a stock is going to be getting into that where they meet and beat numbers on the top and the bottom line. And I thought that this quarter was a really, you know, was a generally a, a solid quarter from that perspective. I think that you saw numbers that were a little bit light versus what the street had been looking for by some measures, but for our perspective, they hit our numbers. So we were comfortable with with what went on. And so we think that we see ourselves turning a corner. There's, this has been kind of a frustrating space to be in, this name, for a while because there are a series of factors that have been been dragging on it. We think that those factors are moving into the into the past. We, you know, some of them was 
equipment availability. Some of it was psychological. The issues with, with Phillips are, have been kind of an overhang on the space. So we think that, you know, there's really nice progress being made here. And we think things pushing forward this year should be a year that, you know, turns out to be a lot more rewarding for shareholders than the year just ended. Yeah, I agree with you on the on the earnings. I, I think they were extremely they did they did very well on the earnings report itself. We'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, the forward guidance is just absolutely outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can talk about why that is some of the tailwinds that they have. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I just you know, this one is such a hard one for me because I've noticed that the analysts tend to have, you know, most of the time it seems like analysts have numbers that companies can quite easily uh, reach and beat, but it seems like analysts tend to be a little high on on this company. Um, you know, just by a million dollars, two million dollars in revenue, just a little bit on EPS quarter after quarter. And I don't understand why. I almost wondered. It seems like, uh, in the case of Quip, it seems like the analysts hadn't updated their numbers uh, since Quip last reported and sort of indicated that they weren't going to have another acquisition in 2022. And of course, we found out. The first trading day of 2023. The reason for that is because the the big acquisition, bigger than anyone expected, happened, um, you know, right after the end of the year, so that it was clean on the books for for both entities. But uh, so that I, I do agree with you. You know that the headline, you know, is not necessarily uh, the best when when that happens. But you know, if we could talk, turn to what was so positive about the report. Um, one of the things that really impressed well, me. And by the way, first you all remember that great ailment acquisition was a. It looks to me to be a home run. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the acquisition first. This big acquisition with Great Elm, and then let's move into the earnings and and what we expect here in 2023. I mean, I think when you look at it, it's it was a bigger deal than I think we thought we were going to yeah. get. I think it oh, was absolutely. almost like two or three deals rolled into one. Right. Which I'd like because. You know, one of the knocks on companies that do a lot of acquisitions is can you keep executing? You know, you you do well, but as you do these acquisitions, you know, you you might have limited internal resources to deal with these things. So they got someone, they paid a, a very favorable price for right. a really nice piece of a nice operation. I think it should be really additive uh, to their business. I think it should help their footprint, and I think that it should help their ability to you know, negotiate cost structures and things of that nature. It should open them up uh, to, to a broader, you know, they have a, obviously a lot of their businesses is uh, tied into Medicare, Medicaid and the like, but I think that uh, looking forward, this does give them a, I think a really nice jumpstart and gets them back on kind of track where they had stumbled a bit from an, you know, from an execution standpoint in people's eyes and, I think this gives them the chance to push forward. I do think you're right. The analysts tend to, to me to not have a, a firm grip on the business model. And maybe it's perhaps just because most of them are north of the border. But in the U.S., most analysts figure out what a company is going to do and, and knock a few pennies off it or something right. of that nature. And as you said, these guys seem to look at what the company can do and add a few pennies to it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, overall, the company ends up you know, meeting or beating it like shortly after. It's not like it's outrageous miss or anything like that. But in terms of the great, um, you talked about the scale. I want to get into that a little bit when we talk about the earnings call, because we're starting to see the benefits of that now, now that they've gotten even, even before the great elm, but it's going to be even more so after it, because uh, they're now at like a $220 million uh, pro forma run rate 
uh, trailing. Uh, it's probably even higher than that as we speak now. But in, in any case, um, to me about the Great Elm, what was impressive about it, in addition to things that you mentioned, is uh, the company, when I talked to them afterwards about it, is that they, uh, they're they adding some, some key employees that they think are going to be really good uh, for Quip in the future. So, you know, it's not like one of the ways they're saving monies is not cutting employees. They're actually see the, some of the employees from Great Elm as being as an asset for them. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, is they talked about some of the systems that Great Elm had in place, whereas Quipped is very much operationally focused, which is one of the things I like about them, um, you know, very much into actually running the business and not any sort of financial engineering type deal that you sometimes see. And, and I try to stay away from in terms of roll-ups. Yeah. But Great Elm um, has some really good financial reporting systems and, and put in place and, and equipped uh, plans to use those across their entire business. So I, I think this was really additive to them, not just from the business and the revenue that they're adding, but in terms of the other assets you think about employees and, and then, uh, you know, this IP that they're, that they obtained through this acquisition. Yeah, I, I think you're right. This is in in some ways appears to have the potential to be a transformative acquisition because of the fact, as you're pointing out, it's not just them buying revenue. Right. And that is important. That, you know, this company has grown aggressively on the on the top line. A lot of it's come from acquisition and people. I think you know one of the things to tell the stock back is. People aren't quite sure, you know, what the underlying, you know, internal growth rate is of right. the business. I think we are also one of the things you, you know, you heard in the in the call and the comments in the Q and A is I think we're setting up to be in a better operating environment from uh, federal government remittance standpoint. Some of the uncertainty was it was taken out, and that is helpful. Yeah, um, and I think that, as I say, when you look at the business itself. I mean, I look at this as a company that should be on that cusp. As we move from this year over the next couple of years, I I think it's you know, and you see the street sees the market, you know, the company tripling its its uh, gap earnings number uh, to where if you're buying it today, you're buying it at you know ten times what the street thinks it's going to earn in in the September uh, 25 fiscal year, which is what you know two and a half years away, just over two and a half years away. I think that these pieces are, are strong in place. I think they help will help the cash flow improve. I think these are all things that, you know, that will allow the company in theory, we think it, it should be able to, you know, that it had been dogged a little bit by the perception that it was, or the way it was, you know, needing to raise capital to, uh, to grow the business. And these things should be with this deal, these things should be things that are put behind it. And as they're put behind it, it should generate, a much more valuable business. I mean, if you're looking at it at, you know, EV EBITDA, which is the way we look at a lot of companies, you know, this thing is trading at less than five times consensus this year and basically four times consensus for its next fiscal year right. and only two and a half times 25. I mean, at right. two and a half times EV EBITDA, you probably should be going broke. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so I think, you know, you you sort of uh, gave me a way to piggyback into the earnings. There are a lot of things that we can touch on here, but I think the first one is is just, I want to talk about is the scale. So that's going to come through in a couple ways. Um, again, they were already starting to get there because they mentioned on the earnings call 
that part of the reason for their margin expansion, and they they expanded their EBITDA margins by uh, two percentage points from 20 to 22, and and the CFO indicated that's really the floor now. 22 is the percent is the floor, so it should be even higher going forward. We'll talk about part of why that is, but um, one of the reasons they were able to do that is they're able to renegotiate some payer contracts and get better terms because of the scale. Uh, but in addition to that, you know, they mentioned on the call that it, it sounded like uh, that they expect to get maybe multiple national insurer contracts yeah. in this first half of this year. Whereas, you know, right now they just have United Healthcare. They signed mm-hmm. them last year. They had kind of indicated uh, to me that they were hopeful to get another one, you know, sometime in the first half mm-hmm. of this year. But on the call, it sounded like they may be uh, getting multiple. So we're we're starting to see the benefits of of the scale that they're creating now. Yeah, and and what you I think you touched on something that's very important is that if you look at the street, they're valuing this company at about one time sales. If you step out and you look at its ability to produce EBITDA and to produce <laughs> therefore operating cash flow, you know it's converting in the the this year it's expected to convert at almost a you know probably about a 22 percent type margin from a, you know, an EBITDA conversion from revenue. And that to me makes this company much more valuable than one-time sales. Yeah, I agree. And that, and that 22% is, as the CFO mentioned, and as I just said, is should be the floor. And the, and the reason for that is not just the increased scale, but it's also the fact that, and you alluded to this earlier, that the environment now with reimbursements for Medicare, which is about you know, between 35 to 40 percent of their business comes from that. Uh, they said on the call, we, we knew from earlier that various products are going to be reimbursed in 2023, anywhere from I think it's like 6.4 to 9.1 percent higher based on the CPI adjustment. And uh, they said that when you blend that all together over that portion of their business, that 35 to 40 percent of revenue, uh, that they should see an 8 percent increase in uh, reimbursement, in other words, an 8% increase in revenue uh, over that portion of the business. So that that should help margin expansion as well. Yes, and it's I think it's important for them to get, to both get that margin expansion and also talk about getting that top line growth pushing forward. Because as I said, this is a stock that strikes me, it has a lot of people following it, particularly north of the border on the sell right. side, but it's really kind of down here in North. You know, that's not a name people think a lot about. But I do think that, you know, all these pieces here, you know, this is what we love about micro and small cap companies, I think, is that the market is exceptionally inefficient in how it values these, right. these businesses. And I went to business school. They tried to teach me efficient market theory. I graduated in spite of the fact that I didn't agree with it. <laughs> yeah, right. But no, oh. go ahead. Yeah, so one of the things that they that I wanted to stress as well, and the company has been talking about this for a while, is that 2023, the calendar year, uh, so that the fiscal year for them had already started, but they're talking about more the calendar year. They really expect to crank up organic growth, and that really comes from uh, two factors. One, they just have better access now to healthcare providers, to hospitals, and so forth, to be able to cross sell when they when they go acquire a company. You know, maybe they're heavy in sleep and now they can sell some of the respiratory stuff or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. They're able to cross sell more because we're operating in, you know, a post pandemic 
environment. Obviously, COVID's still around, but it's not shutting places down. People are still meeting. But also, in addition to that, um, they they highlighted on the call uh, that the supply chain for the sleep devices, you had mentioned this Philips Respironics recall, which has been going on since, I think, 2021, uh, that they saw in January that it started to come, they started coming off allocation, meaning they were able to get as many of the devices and supplies from Philips as they wanted. And, and they've sort of indicated over the past maybe six, nine months or more that they hadn't been able to do that. So th they view this as an, a great opportunity for organic growth. And and they were back to 2% sequentially, which is sort of their historic norm. Mm -hmm. uh, so quarter over quarter. Uh, but they said that 8 to 10% annual organic growth should be met or surpassed. Yeah, so that'd so, be nice, you know, that'd be a nice addition as well if they can pull that off. And, and I would say, I actually thought they did a good job of, of navigating the, or have done a good job of navigating the Phillips situation. They were not a Phillips shop, but, you know, it did obviously all that lost um, supply did take a toll and did restrict their ability to, to grow their business, but I think they did a good job with that. And and I also think though that's probably cast a little bit of a pall over the space as a whole. As I yeah. said in prior podcasts, I don't think a lot of my peers like to think too deeply about things at times. And so they, when you say these, you know, breathing assistant, home, you know, oxygen assistance and the like, people kind of think Phillips and they immediately move on. So getting past this and, and moving forward is going to, I think, be important psychologically for this company. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing I wanted to mention that sounded to me on the call like they were trying to send a clear signal. And you kind of alluded to this earlier about how they had to raise money in the past. Um, not only were they having to tap into the equity market, uh, but they were also in a position where they would, would have to offer derivatives. Mm -hmm. and. Now, not only are they in a better position that theoretically, if they were to tap into the equity market, they wouldn't have to offer derivatives, but they're sending the clear signal. They have no expectation to tap into the derivative market, which is something new from them. They've never really set that expectation until recently. And uh, the reason I say that is because the CFO mentioned uh, very precisely on the call that um, you know, we can expand our line of credit as our revenue continues to grow and that we expect to do that when it's necessary. So mm -hmm. I took that to be a clear signal that we're done going to, uh, you know, raising equity. We're going to be able to finance this thing uh, in future acquisitions through debt. Is that is that your read on it or what did you yeah, think? Yeah, I did read it. And I, I came away. I mean, if you look at it right now, you know, you've got a $224 million market cap and a $234 million enterprise value. So this is not a company that is carrying a great deal of leverage. I think that the comments I read as a maturing of the company and its business model. Obviously, you know, when you're at that uh, an early stage, uh, a ramp up stage as a business, you take capital where you can get it, how you can get it. And as a former uh, partner in a major hedge fund, I will tell you that warrant accounting is God's gift to hedge fund managers. Uh, <laughs> and you look at those deals, you want to drive them hard and you think about what you get. And it's not uncommon to, to see companies like this where you're able to bluntly take advantage of them. You're, you know, you're paying cents on the, uh, on the dollar or the value of the warrant when you do the deal. And the company is doing it because they feel the need to. 
The fact right. that they can now use bank financing instead of equity and warrant financing is huge. It literally says this is it's it's crossed that line, the Rubicon of becoming a real business uh, yeah. from a from a capital allocation and capital raise standpoint. And so it's de-risked the company as an investment substantially, because in the past, you never knew when they might walk in on you and say, you know, we just made this great acquisition. The stock started to respond. And oh, by the way, we're going to raise, we're raising equity and we're doing a, you know, one for two warrant or a one for one warrant or whatever it is with it. Right. And it's, by the way, only going to a handful of people. So if you're not in that favored list with whoever the banker is, you're not even getting a chance to participate, although you get all the liquidation, all the, you know, the, uh, the negatives, you get all the dilution okay. and everything else. So, yeah, I think it's, this is a company that's, that I think is, is at that stage where it's really crossing into being a, a freestanding, viable, self-financing business. Yeah, I agree. Final thing I want to talk about, I guess, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, the enterprise value over EBITDA, which seems to be pretty common in terms of, of how these types of businesses are valued um, and and uh, using that metric. And what I've seen, I've written about it in some of my articles, but you know, I view it as at, at this point, because of what you just mentioned about them, you know, not having to tap into the equity markets anymore, sort of crossing the Rubicon into being what we might call, you know, quote, a real company. And a lot of credit to Greg Crawford and, and the team there operating and what they, you know, the situation they were given when they spun up Viamed and to get to this point, they've done a fantastic job. Uh, but I don't, you know, the comps that I'm seeing in, in terms of mature companies like that being acquired, I mean, first of all, uh, they acquired Great Elm, who was about a third their size at a six times mm -hmm. enterprise value over EBITDA. Um, so there's, uh, to me, that's sort of the floor. And and by the way, you know, the end game is clearly this company is going to be bought out by a bigger yeah. player at some point. Um, but, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, eight, 10, 12 time multiples um, on, on some of these companies that have been bought out over the last uh, two or three years. And, and so kind of what's your thought? What are your guidelines or, or your uh, estimate of, of what sort of multiple should be attached to a company yeah. like this? I think the company is currently selling at a 50 to 100 percent discount to what the underlying value of the business would be in a transaction. I think that, you know, they would get higher than they paid for Great Elm. I think it's a uh, business particularly consolidated with Great Elm as a better business than Great Elm was alone. I think that at this stage, what we are seeing with these guys is, as I said, you know, to me, the fact that they can put on debt, when I value a company, I call, I call cash and debt one-timers, meaning that just, you know, whatever the debt level is within reason, it's a negative one multiple and whatever the cash level is, it's a, you know, it's a positive one multiple. So the uh -huh. fact that they are going to be able to stop diluting equity holders, that they've got a balance sheet that, you know, they're trading at, as we said, at, you know, four times the, uh, you know, September uh, 24 estimated EB EBITDA, you know, that tells you or tells me that, that this is a really undervalued business as an operating business. Because there are other costs and things in here that would go away. So if someone were to be buying it, even up 50 to 100% from here, it's, it's particularly attractive. And I think it would be additive. So, 
you know, but it takes it takes them doing some things, you know, like getting out of the the equity raise business so people actually see that they're not doing it. You know, right. getting the execution, getting the top line to grow on its own basis, not just acquisition. But all of that seems to be coming together this year, you know, in the, yep. the 12 months, that the calendar year that we're sitting here, not just the fiscal, but the calendar year we're sitting here. And, and so if that is the case, then we, you know, the market should see a, a very attractive asset, which gives a chance to get substantially higher valuation. Yeah, I agree about that. First of all, that, you know, at 50 to 100 percent from where they would be if they were to sell themselves, which they're not interested in at this time. They want to still continue to operate and grow and expand. But uh, in addition to that, you know, that because they expect to grow, they, they mentioned on the call, they still expect some tuck in acquisitions, especially around you know, some new areas that they're in now with Great Elm. Uh, obviously, for the past several months, they had been focused on finalizing that deal with Great Elm. And, and I think ultimately another year or so from now, we could see, a, you know, another bigger type deal like similar to Great Elm. Mm -hmm. But uh, so what's interesting to me about it is not only are they undervalued from that standpoint, but really this company, we should expect them to continue to grow, uh, you know, over the next several years as well, in addition, you know, just in terms of revenue and EBITDA, in addition to uh, just being undervalued based on that multiple. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, that's what makes it so attractive. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as when I look at one of the things I love is I love the ability to create free cash flow in a company. And what you're seeing here, like some of the other names we've talked about, is you're sitting here on the cusp of a, of a place where you're going to start to generate substantial free cash flow. And that's going to allow them a lot of optionality in what they want to do, but be it larger acquisitions, be it you know how they you know return capital to shareholders, because there's right now really no debt on this balance sheet, and that's something that's really important. As I said, when you look at at the EV EBITDA ratio, you would tend to think it's either a, a declining industry or a lever significantly levered balance sheet, and Right. You know, it's not a declining industry. I think that, you know, as, um, as the nation ages, it's going to be an industry that's just going to have an underlying level of growth to it. And at the same time, you know, it's it's uh, not a company that that is carrying leverage or, you know, it's not a cyclical business. So, we, you know, this isn't something you say, wow, I'm really worried about what, you know, what the inflation or what the Fed number, you know, the Fed's going to do, you know, if we slip into a right. recession. These are things that, that should lead to a, a higher valuation, not a high, you know, this isn't a 20 times earnings factor, but this is a company that should definitely be able to carry uh, an, a PE ratio as you, as you push forward, you know, that is in line with the market or somewhat better, somewhat, let's say within plus market plus or minus 10%. And that's kind of why it is there in a, a basis for 24 but you know this is a ramp if you look back and look at estimates on 25 you know it's trading at 10 times expected earnings and you know, that's yeah. easy to justify a double from from that sure. multiple well thank you for your time uh ross i appreciate it and we'll look forward to podcast with you as well thank you Some or all the speakers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The views in this podcast expressed are those of the speakers, not breakout investors.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Neither Breckon Investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast and any liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, therefore is expressly disclaimed. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor, known as providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.